Hi and welcome to this week's episode of the Leadership Untitled Podcast. The podcast where we invite experts in the world of leadership development and L&D and leadership as a whole and help you guys to hopefully avoid the traps that we've fallen into during our careers. My guest this week is Penny Ferguson, the founder and CEO of The Living Leader. Now Penny started her true leadership journey at the age of 50 when she became utterly disillusioned with all management training that she'd been involved in. She couldn't understand why that so many attended programs had forgot the impact and supposed learned behaviours within six weeks. She believed there had to be a different way, especially as she realised that most training was more about management and not leadership. Based on her life experiences, she created her own programme and, on her journey, learnt more about leadership and how utterly critical it is to every part of life as a boss, as a colleague, a friend and the most vital leadership role as a parent. She's become a leading expert on personal leadership now. For well over 65,000 people have attended her three-day programme with escalating numbers now joining her 10-week virtual programme. She changes lives. Please join me in welcoming Penny to the show. Hi, Penny. Uh, welcome to the Leadership Untitled podcast. How are you today? I'm really very well and enjoying this sunshine that we're getting. Walking my dogs this morning was an absolute joy. I see that on your uh, on your LinkedIn profile, that, that dogs appears very prominently in your headline. <laughs> very important <laughs> to you, are they? They're very important. I have the least number of dogs that I think I've ever had. I've only got four at the moment. Wow, what's the most and, about that? Uh, I know. So we're just going to have to hope they don't bark during this um, podcast. Uh, I can't promise it, but we'll hope. So you've got four in the minute. What's the what's the biggest number of dogs you've ever had then? Uh, nine. Wow, that's a that's a commitment. That was nine long haired Jack Russells walking them around Virginia Water Lake, which is where I lived at the time, was hilarious. Hilarious. Fantastic. They'd all just disappear in all directions. And then I have one of these very vulgar four finger whistles and I'd whistle and then they'd come back. <laughs> oh, you see, at some point now in this episode, we need to hear that whistle. No, no, I'm not <laughs> doing that. It'll deafen somebody. <laughs> no, and again, I mean, we've had the chat just before we started recording. And as the listeners will know that, you know, life is life at the minute. If the dogs start barking or start scratching at the door, like you said, they might do because you, you shut them out of the office. So be it, it is what it is, because I'm quite sure as people are listening to this, they've got their own dogs barking around them, uh, even yeah. other things. So all is, all is good. Um, absolutely love dogs. I had, had dogs all my life when I was so I kind of living, living at home parents. They're just amazing things, amazing creatures. Yeah. Um, and I'd have one now, unfortunately. My wife um, is allergic. Oh. So, you know, some people yeah. say I should trade her in, but <laughs> I don't think I'm going to do that. No. <laughs> and the poor kids, they're, uh, they all, oh, what a dog, what a mum, can't you do something about it? Um, brilliant stuff. So um, the, I, I like to start off just by kind of saying, why it is I've reached out um, uh, to, to you and uh, to bring you onto the podcast. Um, and it's a, a shared contact of ours, Lee, who's working for the CIPD in the Wiltshire branch. Um, I was chatting to him. I've done a few podcasts um, with him. Uh, sorry, a few uh, webinars with him. And he said, you just, you've simply got to get in touch with Penny. And I said, okay, tell me why, what? He says, I've been on her program and um it was absolutely brilliant it's unlike any other leadership program i've ever been on and it really makes you think and it really makes a difference i said oh wow wow well i better drop her a line then and find out all this is about because you know you don't you don't often hear 
big testimonies like that that, that claim so much. And I said, okay, let's do it. And obviously we've had a chat and um, I think as, as I find all the, all the best programs and all the best companies that are offering these programs, they have a genuine story behind it all as well um and you've obviously taken me through a, a few of those things so I, I just went it's a no-brainer please Penny, will you come on the podcast and we'll do an episode um so for the benefit of the listener do you want to um give us a as a starting point if you give us a bit of a background to yourself what it is that you do why you do it and then we'll explore some of those things further okay well um I probably need to start I think uh, my life changed at the age of 50. So that's now 28 years ago. And when um, it was not a good time in my life, really not a good time in my life. Um, I, my third marriage was coming to an end. I'd lost all the money that I brought to all the marriages. Um, I was utterly disillusioned with all leadership and management training. My last husband had been a very good trainer, no question. Um, but I could not get my head around how it was that people would come on the programs, leave saying best program I've ever done. And I'd go and meet the clients later and find they'd forgotten 80% of it within six weeks, sometime hundred percent real behavior change, almost nothing. And all of this combined with, um, the tragic death, the death of my second son at the age of 26, who'd gone schizophrenic when he was 18. Um, that was it was it was a really bad time in my life and I didn't know what I wanted to do and I went on a personal journey doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things not knowing what I wanted to do qualifying in things that I'd never I never used today things like massage sports massage aromatherapy reflexology became a healer you know all of this sort of stuff and going on a lot of personal development workshops ranging from the names that everybody's heard of Tony Robbins landmark education all of this uh, plus a lot of spiritual ones as well. And I used to ask people, how do you use what you're learning here back in the workplace? And 99% of them said they didn't. They said, you don't bring personal development into the workplace. You know, people would think that you're a bit odd. And I began to think, I wonder if this is why so much training doesn't stick. And I became really curious. And I, I was still fascinated by the fact that people would take all this learning and actually not do anything different. And I thought, I wonder if I can find a different way combining everything I've learned over the years. And I'm not sure that I knew what the heck I was doing. I think it was, I don't know, I, I don't know. But anyway, I put together this program, which was two days. I decided it needed to be a couple of days of learning and then a gap, say three weeks, where you're beginning to put some of it in practice and then come back for a third day where you're beginning to pull it together, see what it is you've learned and see if you can then build on it. And I put it together and I managed to persuade six very brave people to come and pilot it where I lived at the time. So in my dining room and uh, I was nervous as heck. And also um, it was a very odd little group. I'd managed to persuade these six people and it ranged from a managing director mm -hmm. through to a housewife going through a crisis who didn't work in business. Wow. So it was a really odd little group. And this is at the time when I had to keep the nine Jack Russells quiet in the kitchen at the same time. <laughs> right so next to the daddy room. <laughs> so um, I did this. And at the end of the two days, somebody whose name I'll never forget called Annabel Parahia 
who was at the time head of all development training for Sun Microsystems in the UK, mm-hmm. said to me, Penny, that two days has just changed my life. And I had not the faintest idea why. And I just sort of went, oh, you know, amazing, incredible. And uh, she said, I want more people from Sun to come through this and see what they think. And that was what was extraordinary because I found that I had a client and the more that I began to work with that client, the more I began to realize that actually up until that point, I hadn't understood leadership. I may have been pretending I was teaching it, but I hadn't understood it. And I was getting similar impacts, people saying, wow, the impact on this program is transformational. And all of this great stuff, it took me a year to work out why it was that it was having the impact. And so that's really where my journey began. And over the years, I've begun to recognize that for me, leadership is the absolute foundation of my life, no question. And it's changed my life. Um, it's, we've now had over 65,000 people who've been through the program. Wow. Uh, we get emails all the time saying how much it's impacted my life. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's just been incredible. It's also been, been translated into five languages. Um, and all it is, honest to God, is common sense. It's just not common practice. Mm. There's no, nothing new, no magic. But there seems to be that we were lucky enough to find a way to take, to take it from people's head to their heart. And what I began to recognize is that quite often when you go on programs, it is very much for the workplace. And it comes across in a way that says, if you do A and B and C and D, this will have an impact. So it's almost a toolkit, mm. but you need to remember to pick that toolkit up when you go into the workplace. Yeah. Whereas the way we think of leadership is it's leadership in every single part of your life. We don't just call it leadership, we call it personal leadership. And you are a leader every minute of every day because the minute you influence another human being, you're leading. So you have a choice about how you are in every moment. Mm my most important leadership role is that of a mother. And I was getting that so badly wrong. Basically, I was managing my children up to the age of 50, by which time they'd all grown up. I was managing them. And that really wasn't helpful at all. I'm not saying I was a bad mother. Um, and I loved my children, you know, enormously, but I was managing them, not leading them. So in many ways, I was stunting their opportunity to grow for themselves. So my journey started there and my journey has never stopped. And leadership is, yeah, it is. It's the foundation of my life. It's the biggest passion. And people say, Penny, you ever going to retire? The answer is, I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not if it's something something you love. And I think, you know, when you... You bring it down to, to people again. So I, one of the things I say in, in my um, leadership presentations is that really stop thinking about them as leaders to start with. Think about them as people. And then when you think about them as people, there's a hell of a lot more people than what you've been thinking leaders are. <laughs> and you're right. And I think oh, I think that's fantastic. That I know it's your dining room, but you know, you're talking about business leaders and you're talking about housewives, mothers, and all on the same thing. Because... Yeah. Well, it's 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 common sense you called it, but there's a it, there's a, a simplicity to it, but that doesn't mean it's easy. 
And I absolutely love the fact that, that, that different walks of life and different sometimes professions, sometimes not professions. And the link you've got to parenting, I think, is is massively. I, I reflect a lot when I do these types of conversations and go, oh, my God, yeah, I'm I'm doing the same thing with my kids. I'm, I'm trying to manage my 15-year-old to tidy a room and make her bed. It's not working. Why didn't she do it when I tell her to do it? <laughs> um, and, you know, I think the, the, the tool, uh, the toolkit that you talked about, um, that's a great way of putting it. You can give people the toolkit, but they've got to be able to remember to pick that up. Um, and I like to talk about kind of switching that around. So we kind of quite often we go in and do what you've talked about for the last, for, for, for well, prior to the last 30 years around that management development. We try and give people a skill set. And then say, there you go. There's a bunch of tools. Use them when you need to. There's your tool set. And now we're going to question your mindset when you don't use them. Why aren't you using them? You've got everything. You've had the training. Boom. And you flip that around. And when you sort of talk about, you know, bringing it into their heart, you're, you're really changing that mindset there. You are starting with mindset rather than skill set, getting them to think about this sort of stuff differently. Uh, and I guess that's at the heart of the reactions and the passion that you've got for it. Yeah. No question. I'm, I'm passionate about it. And, you know, for me, and it's, it's interesting. I have to keep saying when we deliver the program, never am I saying that management is bad. Mm. It's different in kind. And, but it's, it's beginning to identify when you need one and when you need the other. And this is the definition that we use. We say outstanding managers drive people to perform at the highest level they're capable of. Mm-hmm. It's very much about control. Outstanding leaders inspire them to do it for themselves. And it's more about freedom. For me, that is what the difference is. And I believe that, especially through this time where we've all been going through COVID, I think it's almost driven people back to the management style. Yeah, it certainly in some cases it has absolutely, yeah, because of the, well, from my point of view, I see it because of that the distance between people and not seeing each other. So, but what is it, what is it you mean by that? What have you seen? Um, I think the way I describe that is people, especially in senior positions have said, Oh my God, we've got to change things. We've got to do through differently. We may have to make people redundant. Are we going to? And so they start going into the style of telling people what to do. Mm. And that has to happen because they're in that, point where they have to make those decisions. They can't step away from them if the company's gonna survive. So they have to do that. But then I think the step that they forget is how, how do they get people to take ownership for that? Because otherwise people spend their time worrying nonstop, thinking about, oh, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. Am I gonna have a job? Am I gonna do this? But somehow you need to get them to think for themselves about how they're going to own whatever the new situation happens to be. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that by telling them. You have to change your communicating style significantly. So you now need to go into a style that's asking them questions so that they can think for themselves. And that's where I think um, and that's where it's been really interesting because it was a big challenge for us, us when COVID hit. And it really had me thinking, okay, I teach this, now can I walk the talk? Because literally from having built a very successful business, everything stopped dead, completely. Yeah. All my international speaking engagements, all the programs we were rolling out of companies across the world, nobody could do any live training, stopped yeah. dead. And so it, it was very 
interesting. You know, there's that quote, I can never remember it exactly, but from Norman Schwarzkopf that says, um, you know, that, that you need both character and strategy to be a great leader. But if you have to be without one, be without the strategy. And I think that's spot on because it challenged me at a character level. Am I going to sit here and feel sorry for myself and say, oh my God, and worry? And of course, worry does no help at all because there's only two things you can worry about, things you can't control, things you can control. If you can't control it, what's the point in worrying? So beginning to say, okay, so what is it I can do today and keep my attention in the present? And I had no idea if our leadership program that we're known for, which is this, the three-day program, um, I had no idea if we could do it virtually, none. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, if I sit here on my butt worrying about what's gonna happen, that's not gonna get us anywhere. So let's see if I can do it. Yep. And it was really interesting in talking to quite a lot of our trainers who we don't employ, they're all um, work with us on an associate basis. And all of them are saying, we'll just do the three-day three, three day program and do it virtually. And just all my instincts kicked in and said, no, that's not the right way to go because you're asking people to sit in front of a blessed computer for three days, forget it. So I decided to do it differently and do it over 10 sessions. Um, in some instances, we do it over the 10 weeks and we're now getting some people saying, can you speed it up and have two sessions a week and do it over five weeks? Yep. So um, we, we did it that way, which meant that I had to film for hours on end talking to a blessed telephone <laughs> and do all the modules. So I delivered the entire program myself, but a module at a time. And then we, rather than just putting that out once a week, they don't just get that. We decided to include interviews that I've done with leaders who I rate very highly so they could see how people that we think are great leaders, how they talk about it and why it's important to them, mm -hmm. uh, get them to do things, of course. So there's all sorts of bits of stuff that goes with it. And it was, it's, that's what's been an interesting journey because we piloted the first one in July and we got, I think, 24 people on it. And it went amazingly well. I was, I didn't think it would work. And so I would, I was personally delivering it, not just my modules going out once a week, but also I was actually doing the live sessions, which is what your friend um, did. He, he came and did it. And the next session, I think we had in, whenever it was, September, we had about 30 people on it. October, we had about 42. November, we had about 96. And that's when I thought, this is wrong. This is not the way to do it with this amount of people. Mm -hmm. And so we pulled it right back to saying, okay, this is a journey. So all the way through, it's having the guts to keep saying, that's not working particularly well. This isn't right, but this is going really well. And this is, and having the ability and the character to say, I'm not going to let this go. I will find a way that works for everybody. And so it was a real journey for us. And we now have brought it back to doing really 12, no more than 12 on every uh, program. And that means we can make it more live. Yeah. So it's been, it's been really, really interesting. Um, and it's what I talked about when I was on doing a Facebook live this morning saying it really comes back to character 
and, and having the courage to say, who do I choose to be in this? Am I going to join the bandwagon of complaining about everything? Or am I going to focus if I knew there's one thing I can do today that may help either me or other people? What might I choose to do today? Yeah. So it's really about doing that. And uh, it's really interesting. We're working with a company in America at the moment where they're doing quite a big rollout, about 300 people in groups of 12. And they're going through massive change, massive change. The whole organization is changing and not just this is one change. It's sort of changing and they don't quite know what's coming next. Mm -hmm. And I join every group for just one session live. They invite me as a guest to join them. And I say to them, you now have a choice. And if you want to behave as a leader, don't ever join the bandwagon of, oh, woe is, woe is me, ain't it awful? Things are happening, they're out of your control. Just ask yourself, if I knew there's things I can do today to help people through this difficult bit, what might I choose to do? Yeah. And so it's really interesting. And that again is where, to me, leadership has never been more important, ever. Yeah. Never been more important. Completely agree with you. You know, one of the, one of the, the big traits of a, a great leader for me is, is that role modeling piece. And I think from listening to what, what you've been doing there over the last 12 months, that, that is in itself role modeling to other leaders through actually helping them through your courses, um, exactly what needs to be done. Because like you said, you could sit there at the, at the start of all of this last year and go, oh, we can't do anything now because now it's all, we can't do, we can't do what we used to do. In the same way, all these leaders around the world, not just the country and the world, are going well. We can't like access our teams and talk to our teams and manage our teams and do the things we used to do. Have a team meeting face to face on a Monday. I can't walk over having a face to face uh, performance meeting or whatever it might be with these people. I can't see them as the work and I can't verify they're doing what I've asked them to do. And being able to see role models such as yourself go, hang on a minute, no, let's step back. Let's not just throw everything away here. How can we? How can we adapt and do the things that we need to do? to be able to, to do that in a different way and give people what they need. Um, am I doing that virtually? You, you, you're mirroring what really leaders have needed to do over the last 12 months, which is manage virtually. Quite often that, that's what they've been doing. Um, so tell me something more about the, tell me more about the program then. Ooh, just one second. I was getting a bit of a noise. I've got the brother-in-laws in the, uh, in the house today doing a bit of stuff in the bedroom. Uh, so I think that was just a saw cutting something. <laughs> I think he's finished now. So uh, tell me something, tell me more about the program then, because obviously we've, you've talked about it's gone from classroom to, to virtual. Um, let's, let's hear some more about it. This is never easy to explain because it's really experiential as much as anything. But we think of leadership as coming down to basically three things, how you choose to think, understanding responsibility mm -hmm. at really a very different level um, and communication and the impact of your own communication. Yeah. And one of the things, in fact, one of the things we do at the beginning of the very early on in the program, probably not the first session, the first session is just announcing it, but the, the second session, you have a group of 12. And what we will do is get all of them to say a little bit about who they are. And the, the trainer will always go first and they'll be very open about who they are. So I've just given you an insight into me. I've said a little bit and I've told you that I came out of a marriage and 
my son died and everything else, but I'd probably say a bit more. I'd say I have five other children and, you know, I would tell them a bit more about, about me. Um, we would then say to everybody, we'd ask a question, tell, share with us three things that you feel really good about in your life. And we're not hung up on three, but if they only come up with one, that is an indicator whether thinking is already. <laughs> so we ask for three. We then say, what's the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're facing in your life right now? Doesn't matter if it's work, home, or what it is. <laughs> and we ask them um, then, what are three things they'd like to get from doing this program? <laughs> and critically, what are three things they would like to give to the, enable this program to be successful for them. It's not just about get. Mm. And so we get them to do that. Now, this Lemusia, <laughs> one of the best leaders I know is somebody called Chris Weston, who currently is CEO of Greco. He's a fabulous leader. And he must have been through the program. This is the live program three or four times. No, probably more than that, five or six times. Every company he's gone into, he's taken us in. And it's been absolutely fascinating. So I can remember doing one group with him. And to him, this is the most important bit of all. And we started at 8.30. There was only a group of eight. We didn't finish till four o'clock. <laughs> four o'clock. <laughs> yeah. And the things that they were sharing and were coming out were incredible. Now, okay, that's exceptional. But normally for a group of 12, you allow three to four hours, okay? Yep. And... People, even a team that has been working together for a long time, suddenly learn things about each other that they didn't know. And you can see light bulbs going off. They say, that's why you're difficult when we have to make decisions about this. That's why I struggle with you here. Oh, my goodness, you've got that going on at home. I had no idea. Yes. And it's absolutely incredible how you can see see new teams formed out of existing teams yeah. so for us that's key and you know it actually saddens us when you think how many people in a join a company and how much do they know the people they're about to work with and how much do people know them yeah almost not at all so what happens is you make a judgment about that individual based on who you are within minutes and then you treat them as though your judgment of them is true and it may not be true at all so you can begin to generate behaviors that you don't even want. So, I mean, it, it's such a critical bit. So that's a, a kickoff. Mm. We get them to discuss what responsibility means. And it's interesting to hear their thoughts around it. And we share with them our own model around responsibility, getting them to understand it. I fundamentally believe that one of the biggest gifts you can give to anybody is helping people take responsibility for their life, helping mm. them learn how to think for themselves. When you think for yourself and you come up with your own solutions to whatever the problems, challenges or opportunities are, mm. you own them. You own the success and you learn if it goes wrong. And that's what I wasn't doing with my children because, and this is where communication comes in. One of the things we do on the program is we measure people's communicating behavior. Mm -hmm. And we will share, uh, share with them a model after we've measured their communicating behavior that they don't know we're measuring. And we talk them through it and say, how do you think would be a really great way to communicate if you want to be a great leader? And they absolutely 
indicate this is what they think would be perfect would look like and then we show them the reality and nearly always absolute shock emerges because they realize they're not just through caring for people and loving them they're not just communicating not as a leader quite often they're communicating as almost a dictator mm. you know but certainly as a manager and it's really interesting because people begin to recognize that through caring a lot of the time what they're doing is the least useful thing as a leader. It's what I was doing with my children. I've made so many mistakes in my life. I didn't want them to make the same and I wanted them to be the best they could be. So I'd give them advice all the time. I'd point out to them if they were gonna do something that wasn't useful. You talked earlier about, you know, with your children tidying up their bedroom, do this, do that. Mm. I did that all the time, all the time. They didn't have to think for themselves. Still, at the age of 20, if they had a problem, they'd be coming along, Mum, what do I do here? Because I'd educated them how not to think for themselves. And so how we communicate is a real wake-up call. So we cover that. We also get people to recognise that you have no control over get. You only have control over give. So, you know, begin to think, are you really... Um, thinking about how can I get my team to perform better or thinking what can I give to my team to enable them to form at the highest level possible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's beginning to recognize that thinking slightly differently, beginning to help them recognize that one of the most effective ways of modifying behavior is getting people to focus on the behaviors do they do well mm-hmm. and the behaviors you want because what you put your attention on expands, what you take your attention away from withers and dies. Mm. That's not mostly what we do. If somebody's underperforming, we put all their attention on where their poor performance is. Let me just mm-hmm. give you a small example to explain what I mean. Yeah. Let's say you've got a boss who's not very good at listening to you. You know, they're either distracted, they're on the computer, you know, they're, they're looking at their texts, they're pretending they're listening. And if you say, you know, the, the, you might say to them, boss, you're just not listening to me. Mm. And then they come back with quoting the last sentence that you've, you know, you've said. So <laughs> yeah. means, you know, they've got a quick brain, but they're not really listening at a head and heart level. I, I, can, I can sense hundreds of people listening to this going, yep, <laughs> yep, I know, I, I can name one now. Don't put the names in the comments. Don't get yourself in trouble. <laughs> you see, and that's, and the problem is that if you then say, boss, you're not listening, you're criticising them. How do we feel when we're criticised, defensive, want to defend it and prove it's not true? And that doesn't help. So now supposing you don't take that approach at all, supposing one day your boss, they could have been out the night before, they've had a very late night, they didn't sleep well or they've got a hangover. And so they're not distracted. They are listening to because it's easier. That's what you leap on. Mm. And what you do is you say, boss, I just want to say how much it meant to me the way you listened just now. You got higher quality thinking from me. I really felt valued. Mm. And I can tell you that I'm coming up with better solutions and better ideas because of the way you're listening. That means so much to me. Now think how the boss feels. Oh, I enjoyed getting that feedback. Oh, I need to do more of that. What you're doing is you're putting your attention on a behavior that you want, not giving your attention to your behavior you don't want. And that, for me, is the most powerful way of modifying behavior. But Mm. don't ever hear me say, if somebody's doing something badly wrong, that you ignore it. I'm not. Mm -hmm. But somehow you need to approach it in a way 
not by saying you screwed up here, but seeing if you can get them to own it. So you ask question. Okay, so tell me, how do you think that went? If you realize, if you thought, knew that I have some concerns about how you handle that, what do you think my concerns might be? Hmm. And what you're doing is asking questions to get them to own it rather than you. Yeah. And it's it sounds so simple, but I can give you I can give you another example because this for me was fascinating. Somebody I met, a very senior guy from a huge organization. Mm-hmm. I won't mention the organization. But we met on a plane and he was fascinated by what I do. And I was going out to do a top team program for a big company in Houston. And he said, have you got any time? I want to just come and ask you some questions. And I said, look, the only time you can come is I've got an hour's gap at lunchtime. If you can come and meet me at the hotel where I'm delivering the program. He said, okay, I'll do that. And he came and we had an hour together. And then I said, how did you manage to shift your diary? He said, well, I'm doing appraisals today. What I did was I took a room here and I'm doing the appraisals here in the hotel. So I said, oh, great. I said, I'm really curious. Tell me, how do you approach appraisals? And he said, I take them really seriously. He spent, he said, I spend a lot of time really looking at what the person's done well in the year, mm-hmm. what they haven't done as well, where they need to develop and so on. I said, great. And how do you approach that? He said, well, I think it's really important to tell them where I think they've done well to lift their energy first. So I will start off by telling them all the things I think they've done well and then move on to the areas. And I said, okay, that's interesting. So I said, tell me, why do you do that? He said, because I want them to know how much attention I put into it. I said, but who's owning that performance? I said, supposing you said to them, so tell me, where do you think you've done well? And I said, if you've done your research, there'll be some things that's missed. So when they come up with that, you can say, that's great. That's really interesting. Actually, there's a couple of other things that impress me. I'd like to just tell you what those are. I said, then you ask them and say, okay, so where do you think the areas are for development? And they'll come up with the things they haven't done as well. And they'll always want to come up with more than you think. Mm. Uh, always. People always want to put themselves down more. And so then you could say, well, that's interesting. I didn't believe that those were actually particularly bad. I thought they were part of learning and whatever. And then you say to them, okay, so how might you like to get learning in these areas? What do you need to do and how can I support you? Mm. And I said, that's getting them to take responsibility rather than you. Yes, you're putting in all the work and it's great, but they're not owning it. And it was so lovely because, and it's actually the way he was doing it, the way the company was teaching them to do it, to be fair. Yeah. He phoned me and I'd got on the plane, just waiting for the plane to take off. And he phoned me, he said, I've got to tell you, I've just done three appraisals. And he said, they've never gone so well. Oh, brilliant. Energized and motivated. And of course they did because they owned it. He was giving them the gift of owning it, owning their performance, owning their development moving forward. And it was so simple because it just meant changing his communication style. That Mm -hmm. was all. Yeah. It's that permission. Uh, Like you said, he'd he'd been trained to do it in that way by the company. This is how we do it. Um, But the permission to actually think for yourself. And when you talk about responsibility, I think it's it's so important. Um, I talk about the kind of responsibility versus accountability. Um, In in a previous episode, um, I I had uh, Chris Lewis on, who's uh, an ex-England cricketer. 
a big, big cricket name in the early 90s. Um, and uh, I don't know if you know the story of, the, of for the listeners who's not seen it, go and listen to it. But he's he was arrested around 2009, I think it was. He was, it was trying to smuggle drugs into, back into this country. Uh, and he went to prison. And he said it took about a year in prison. And he says he was looking out the, the window one day. And, and just some of the words you've been using there, he kind of went, hang on a minute. Are you seriously saying that it's other people's fault that you're in here? Uh, and he's, he'd spent that year, that first year, beating himself up, going, right, well, it's their fault. And they hadn't done this and they hadn't done that. And oh my, all that sort of stuff. And he just went, you cannot seriously be saying it's someone else's fault. And he started calling that the choice before the choice. He says, we, we start, we analyze the choice that led to this. And we blame the people who contributed to us making that choice, or we think contributed to it. But before that choice, there was another choice, a choice to start speaking to these people or get involved in this or get involved in that. And I was responsible for that. This is in that moment, honestly, don't get me wrong. Prison still wasn't easy. But from that moment on, I knew I just wanted to start over. Let's have another go at life. That was my fault. I'm the reason I'm here. And I am going to make a difference to improve it. I think that's absolutely crucial. Um, bringing the person and bringing that out of people, whether it's the, the, the people that the leaders are, are talking to or the leaders themselves. I, I think it's central to everything. So it's fantastic the program's doing. And I wonder Lee had an amazing time. <laughs> I mean, it is, it, it is really uh, absolutely fascinating. And what he was saying there, what Chris was saying there is absolutely spot on. It is about choice. I used to blame my husbands. Um, but then I said, but I chose to marry them. I chose to stay with them. I chose to give them the money that I had, you know, so I, I can't walk away from that. But when I look back, you know, and I talk about responsibility, for me, it, the absolute crux is... I was giving my children advice all the time. And one thing that I'd like to really share here to help people recognize mm -hmm. is when you give advice, to start with what you said, you can't do this without me. Mm -hmm. Secondly, you're disempowering them. And thirdly, they'll never be better than you were yesterday because it's coming out of your head and your advice and your experience. Yeah. You know, and yet, I was doing that all the time with my children, all the time. I don't do it now. And seeing the way my children now bring up their children, yeah. different ball game, yeah. you know, different ball game. <laughs> uh, this could, this again, crazy, funny example. My younger daughter, Emma, who's also co-director of The Living Leader, mm -hmm. um, really, uh, Grace, when she was about eight, I think, she's 12 now, but she came back one day from school and she said, mommy, I don't want to do my homework today. Now I know what I would have done. I know I'd have gone into all the reasons that why it was important, why they knew it. And at the end of the day, I'd have just said, bloody well, sit down and do it. You know, that would have been <laughs> it. Yep. And Emma didn't, she just said, okay, Danny. And left it until about two hours before bedtime. And then she just went, Danny, I'm just really curious. What are you going to tell your teacher tomorrow when you turn up with no homework? And Grace just went, um, Mummy, could I have an extra half hour before going to bed so that I can go and do it now? Yes, darling, of course you can. 
Brilliant. <laughs> well, it's that. It, well, it is. It's that you can't make someone more accountable for something. You, you, you've got to help them accept responsibility for it. And that's exactly, I love that. I love that story. It really is. It immediately made them think, oh, what? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, the difficult bit is if, and this is where you do have choices. If you've got a child who is a, has their bedroom as a right tip mm-hmm. and you actually really think, oh, I can't bear it. I wish they'd tidied up. I would always say to a parent, you have a choice. You can keep nagging them. I don't know what impact you think it's going to have, but they're not taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you that with what I know now, what I would do, I'd say, if you want to keep your bedroom as a tip, that's entirely up to you. Mm. However, it doesn't come out the door. Anything that comes out the door and gets left lying around goes in the bin. Mm-hmm. So what you want to do in your bedroom is up to you. If the washing isn't put in the washing basket, it won't get washed. And literally, so getting them to take ownership until one day, hopefully they reach the point where they don't have to jump from the door to the bed because there's no room on the floor. Yeah. And, you know, or there's no, all the dirty plates and everything else. But having the courage to say, what you do in your bedroom is your responsibility. Yeah, I'd love you to keep it tidy, but if you want to live in a tip, up to you, but it does not come out of the door. Yeah. That is my rule because it's our home. Yeah. But your room is your room, you know. And <laughs> we got we got some it's funny you mentioned it. We got some really good advice um from a friend of ours who who'd had a teenage girl and is no longer a teenage girl. And we we've obviously got the teenage girl. And she just went, you know what? You are gonna spend every day complaining about that room if you choose to go down that route. She says, My advice is shut the door. Just shut the door, it doesn't exist. Because yeah. it'll change. Uh, and then a number of times since then, obviously pre um, pre what we've been going through, but it was it like, oh, can, my, can my friends come and stay over? Well, come stay over if you want. Where are they going to sleep? Oh, I'm, I'm going to tidy my room. And, it's gonna... and because something was important to her then, it, honestly, we went in there. It was like it was like a hotel room. It was spick and span. Uh, and I think another time she'd um, she'd uh, she's, she really doesn't like spiders. Um, and she and there was a spider on on the bed. And she absolutely went berserk. And, and my wife, Gina, had a, had a chat with her. And instead of starting going on about the room, like Gina could obviously say, tidy your room again. It was, why do you think spiders are in the room? And that conversation very quickly got to, because it's a mess and there's loads of places for them to hide. I'm going to tidy this up. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want spiders in here anymore. But it's true. It's much more powerful then. And it sticks much more. And when you think of, when you tell that story, think of what the mother's doing. What she's doing all the time is asking questions. Yeah. That's the communicating style of a leader. Yeah. Asking questions all the time to get to think for herself. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it, it's so interesting. I, I come across some outstandingly good managers. And once they begin to learn the difference between management and leadership, they get quite nervous about, oh, my God, I've got to ask some questions. Let them decide. They may not be as good, mm. you know, and yet they often find that suddenly the team probably might plateau for a while because their nerves are having to think for themselves. But performance then nearly always goes up and up, and they realise that what was actually holding back was them themselves. It's yeah. interesting. It really is. And quite often, I think, you know, you mentioned communication a few times. Just communicating it in a different way 
maybe sometimes at a different level and really getting across the reasons behind something. Um, Cause again, coming back. So, so Lauren now is going to be um, in the final year of high school next year. Um, and obviously, you know, naturally as a parent, you start going rightly or wrongly, oh my, this is GCSEs and you've got to start cranking down and you've got to, your parents evening and do you got to do more maths. You've got to practice this and do this. You know, telling people to do more maths practice and pass papers is never going to work. <laughs> but you, you, that's that's all in your toolkit at the time. You're going do this, do that, do the other. Um, and you know, credit where it's due. It was um, it was Gina's brother, so Lauren's uncle that kind of had a, having a chat with her, and that led to a bigger chat with all of us that she was so engaged with because it it, it focused on the other end of it. What is it you want to do after this? And she didn't know in terms of a career yet. Cool. Let's wind it back. What is it you want to do? Like college, A-levels, that sort of thing. And she says, well, I'm thinking about this sort of stuff and this sort of stuff and this sort of stuff. All right. Okay. And have you had a look? Have you had a look at what you need to get grades wise in your GCSEs to be able to do those courses or get into those courses in those places that you're looking at? Well, no, I've not had a look at that. Well, let's have a look at it then. She goes away. She looks at it. She's seeing the grade. And she's going, oh, I better, I better double down and do <laughs> and do some stuff over the next year because I want to get those grades and those grades so I can do that. And it's exactly the same because I, I absolutely love comparing um, parenting to people leadership and that sort of stuff and just asking the right questions to make them see the value and the purpose themselves. Yeah. That then enabled them to go, I, I want to take responsibility, not you're telling me to, I, I want and I need to take responsibility for this to achieve what's next. Yeah. And I think that's amazing. So I mean, some of the, some of the words that I've, I've kind of got, I had a look at the, the program online and some of the things that I pulled out that, that really overlap with my way of thinking. Things like trust and clarity and listening and courage and inspire. They're all great things. And I think, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd struggle to find someone who didn't say those aren't all great things. Uh, but we've talked about simple and the difference between simple and actually easy. It's not. What, what do you think gets in the way of a lot of this stuff in, in organisations? What, what gets in the way of this simplicity? Um, I don't think it's so much what gets in the way of simplicity. I think to start with, it's suddenly saying, I'm learning some new behaviours mm -hmm. that may be simple, but they're not natural. They're not ones that they're used to. And I think when things get really difficult, when the pressure's on, suddenly we revert to what we're used to because recognize people where they are right now, they've got success with the behaviors they've had before. Yeah. So maybe now you're asking them to do something different, but when the pressure's on, we are, I think all of us inclined to revert to that which we're used to and that which we know. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not quite so easy. I mean, we have found this. It's kind of interesting at the moment in an organization, We've been asked to start in a place we don't normally start, but the CEO is very keen to get us in quite quickly. Um, 300 people, and they call themselves, what are they called? Change ambassadors, I think. Mm -hmm. They're all seen to be people who have influence in some way, shape or form at different levels. Uh, some of them have teams. Some of them don't manage anybody. They work in with you know, on projects, all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And they're finding the challenges their bosses don't understand what they're learning so they want to do things differently now fortunately we've got the vice presidents now saying we you know everybody's talking about this we need to do it 
But that's where it becomes a bit trickier. And we do say, and we have said it to people and it has happened, if you're going to do this in a way where you're not taking everybody through it, or you've got senior people who aren't doing it, if people get a passion for saying, I want to be this sort of leader and I want to work in an organization where they believe in this as well, mm-hmm. if it's not changing above them, they may choose to walk. And the people who will go first are your best people. And we have had that happen. You know, anything when you bring in something like this, it needs to be supported. It's one of the things that I have a huge difficulty with. We have teachers come through the program um, and I would just love this to be taught in schools just before people leave. It's not easy going into an organization where the people above don't do it very well Mm. and they get frustrated. Now with teachers, they get it and they'd love to bring it into schools. They would love to. And I would give my eye teeth to have it taught as a subject before they leave school. So they really understand responsibility, how they can take ownership for their first job, for their role going forward, the communicating behavior that's gonna help them get the best out of the people who they work with. You know, really thinking about, if I can give you an example here, you might say to them, write down the ideal job that you want. Mm -hmm. What do you want to get from the ideal job? So they write down everything they want to get. And I say, how much control have you got over all of that? The answer is none. They haven't got any control over any of that. What do they have control over? What they give? So I said, what would you want to give to this to enable that job to be everything you want? So now they can take responsibility. So I'd give yeah. my piece for it to be taught in schools. I think that's great. Yeah. I won't do it. For the reason being this, unless either the teachers or their parents have done it first, they may learn it, want to put it into practice, and they're being stuffed back in their box again. Yeah that would be the worst of all possible worlds. So even though we have taken it in, we took it into a primary school through all the teachers, performance went up at the school exponentially. We've taken it into a secondary school, uh, similar results, all the teachers going through, you know, so it's amazing, but I would love to be able to get. So if you're in a company, you do have to, you know, you can have one person come through at a senior level Mm. and they begin to really, shift behavior into real leadership behavior they could impact that entire division they could yeah because if you think of the size of an ocean liner and you think of the size of the rudder it's tiny by comparison so one person can do it is it easy not as easy it's much easier if you have people around you so you know at the moment again we're just taking it through where we're taking it through a senior team all of that team are going to be doing it a second time, but with their teams. So they're going to have the experience of doing it with their colleagues, and then they're going to have the experience of doing it where they're in the position of boss. So, you know, it it can work incredibly. And the mm. people, any of the leaders, CEOs who've um, brought it into their companies can give you results that they achieve that, mm. that are amazing. Um, and it's just by learning common sense, not common practice. That's yeah. all. It's that role modeling piece again, because, you know, I, I, I use the phrase that you get the team that you deserve. 
Um, and, and you're giving permission to people act in a different way and you're, you're role modeling it. So they're seeing it. So they think I can do this differently. And, and yeah. so many, so many new leaders. I mean, I, I, I sometimes bang the drum about too many people still talk about this millennial generation as being really young people. And they're not they're people who are technically millennials and now are now CEOs in organizations quite often, um, but certainly, certainly leadership level. And often these first time leaders, they, they have a desire to lead in a different way. Yeah, they do. But, but to your point, when they try to, they've realized sometimes that they can't because of what's their senior to them. Um, and when it's quite often what I hear with leadership development programs, it's senior leaders want to bring it in but it's for the other leaders. I yeah. want leadership development for those leaders. <laughs> or, or, or aren't you a leader? <laughs> Don't yeah. you want to be part of it? And, you know, I think it's when you've talked some of the examples you've been using today um, about the CEOs have come onto those programs and not only once, but every time they've gone to the next place, it'd be so easy to go. I've been on it before. I don't need to come next time. Yeah. But they've done it yeah. again. Yeah. It going through with the people because they're just a leader like their leader and like everyone else is a leader. I think that's really important role modeling. Well, I, another person I think of who is an outstanding leader, Paul Stobart, who's now the CEO of Zen. Mm -hmm. When I first started Zen Internet, when I first started working with him, his CEO of, Z of Sage, and he was the first CEO to then put himself through the masterclass to become a trainer of the program. That takes oh, yeah. 10 days. He took 10 days of his time to do that. Um, he was then delivering the program himself, not many, but he knew it was important to the lowest level in the hierarchy. So he was giving, saying to people, this is the culture I want here. And you now have permission to give me feedback when I get it wrong. Yeah. He then also ran a couple of programs for the CEOs of his suppliers. Yeah. Um, and then when he joined another company, he asked me to go and run a program for him and his top team. And I said, Paul, you can do it. No, no, I need to be part of the team. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah. he's done the program. He's trained to deliver it. He's going to be bored witless. And he said at the end, he said, I can't believe it. I still learn more. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, you know, I, I, obviously, I'm, I'm passionate about the world of L&D and coaching. And I think it's exactly the same thing that quite often, you know, we, we were full of the best questions and we're full of the best advice, but we don't actually do it ourselves because yeah. no one because the amount of coaches that don't have a coach and yeah. the amount of L&D people who talk about personal development them don't take time out to actually develop themselves and reflect and be mindful and all those things. Yeah. So I think that I think that's amazing that you would go and I don't know I, I need to be part of this because delivering it's one thing, but actually being put in a place where I have the time and the inclination to reflect on all this with my people at the same time, I, I'll learn stuff again. Every time I think of this, I'll learn something. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that I think that's really awesome. I think I'm just looking at some of the notes that I've made um, because I always like now at this point to, to kind of go back through and think what could we call the episode based on what we've been chatting about and I've always come up with a couple of ideas but I never like to say those first because I don't want to lead the witness as it were uh, <laughs> well um based on what we've what we've been chatting about what do you think a, a, an apt name for the episode would be Any well ideas? what you could do because you've been asking me about me and my journey um is tale of a living leader tale of a living leader really like that really like that that's the name of the company as well 
Yeah, exactly. That. Well, I had Living Lead, um, and I also something that stuck in my mind. I don't think it was as good as Living Lead. I think that's the one anyway. But it says, you know, focus on the behaviours you want. And I think that's a really yeah. big message to to really let stick today as well. But no, the episode, Tale of a Living Leader, I really, I really love that. <laughs> um, if people would like to get in touch with you, Benny, or, or follow what you do, or, or actually have a look at the programme that obviously we've been talking about today, how can they do that? Yeah, they can just go onto our website, which is thelivingleader.com. Okie dokie. I will put a, a link to that into the show notes for those people listening so they can get straight to that. Yeah. And uh, well worth a look because, uh, like I say, I was doing the same myself the other day. And it's, uh, it's just, like you say, you look at it and you read it and you go, some really simple stuff there, common sense. Yeah. Um, and if you just, I mean, I, first thing I would do, and it's what I was doing, actually, when you're reading those things, just sort of spend 15, 20 minutes actually assessing yourself, reflecting a second, saying, how well do we do those things? Because, you know, trust is the one, again, that I've underlined here that I know was in, in the notes. Um, yeah. And trust for me, it's sometimes, I mean, you mentioned it at the start, sometimes, you know, if you just manage all the time, it's not going to work. But sometimes you have to manage. Yeah, you do. But if you've created that environment of trust, then people trust that you're doing this for a reason. Yeah. Um, but there's no trust if you just manage and tell people all the time what to do. It's just, it's the other end of it. Um, so please uh, take a look at the uh, take a look at the website um, there's some wonderful stuff on there and uh, um, maybe you'll get in touch with Penny um, brilliant so thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today I've really enjoyed that conversation so have I Rob thank you for inviting me no no that, uh, honestly the pleasure's all mine thank you uh, and uh, hopefully we'll keep in touch I'd love to speak to you again soon look forward to it have a great day speak soon bye bye now so that brings us to the end of this episode of the Leadership Untitled podcast. This episode will be called Tale of a Living Leader. That's after Penny's own life experiences and the programme that she now runs for others. My thanks go out again to Penny for joining me today and bringing lots of experience and insights that I'm sure is valuable to everyone listening. And of course, to you yourselves, the listeners, for tuning in. Please get in contact with me if you wish to at rob at robmores.com or look on the website at the same name uh, if I can help you at all in terms of your leadership and or L&D coaching. And otherwise, please subscribe for future episodes so you don't miss out. And I'll speak to you soon. Have a great day. Bye-bye.